I don't know about you, but this weekend with Tim teaching has been one, I felt this combination. I felt the combination of being encouraged and yet deeply convicted. I don't know if you've experienced that, but that's, that was where I'm at all weekend. Uh, with uh, felt like God's in our midst, that he's been speaking. And don't miss this. For us as Awakening, there's something very momentous about this, that we could gather together at the beginning of the year as a community and begin to align our hearts and our lives around the mission and the calling of Christ. And that if we actually began to live what we said we believe, we could change our culture, we could change our city, and I think God would want to change the world. And yet, as I sat at the end of the session, there was this this fear I had. As I began to kind of look and see how we all were engaging, and I, the way I kind of read people is I see body language and where people are at, and I, I felt like for us as a community, maybe this isn't necessarily fair, but I felt like for us as a community, we were teetering on the edge of this just being a good idea. And that what we talked about all weekend is, man, this is nice, and it's great to get away, and man, it's great. But it just was a good idea. And maybe that good idea would move to good intentions. Or, you know what, the next week, maybe as a community, I'll try something. It would be good intentions. But my fear was that it would fall flat at good intentions, that a good idea where we go, yeah, in community, because here it's, that's cool. But then all of a sudden Monday hits and work hits and family hits and life hits. And a good idea moves just simply to good intentions. And so often of our good intentions, they just die there. And as I sat in the back, one verse came to my mind uh, that has been the keynote verse for me probably the last five or six years. And in fact, on your uh, chair there, you have a three by five card and you have a pen. And right now, here's all I want you to do. I want you to take that three by five card and uh, as I talk, we're not going to fill out the whole thing, but I, at least I'll get you started and I want you to finish it. I want you to write at the top of that three by five card the word focus. And then leave a little space, however you want to put it. It's going to be a, a, a Bible passage reference. So depending on your personality, you may want to put it all the way to the right. I don't know. <laughs> write Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. Now here's what I want you to do once we leave this place. I want you to take that card and I want you to hand write in Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. But right now, just write the word focus and at the top, Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. I, I have this 3x5 card and I've had it for years. And this actually isn't the 3x5 card. I left it in the room and I didn't have time to run back to it, so I rewrote it. <laughs> but at the top, it just says focus. And then it's just got the passage because for me, when I feel like life is out of balance, when I feel like I'm losing my way, when, when I'm off kilter from the calling of Christ and I don't know what to do and I feel lost, I go back to this verse. And, and here's the interesting thing. 
You, and I, I just wrote this down a little bit earlier, so I don't have it. But what moves us from good intentions to living a life in, of impact is focus. What will move you from just having a good idea and good intentions to living a life in impact is this question, what is your heart and your life focused on? It will revolutionize the way you live tomorrow. See, the passage says this. I love this passage. It says, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us Throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run the race marked out for us with perseverance. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And then it says this, it closes with this, consider him, who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary or give up. Isn't it true that good intentions die in the moment of weariness in the day-to-day? And you just want to give up, and it just gets hard, and you just go, I just can't keep going. When I was in sixth grade, uh, my wife refers to it as my year and it was. I peaked early. <laughs> I, it was my year with the ladies, everything. It was great. 11, 11 12 years old. And it went downhill from there. <laughs> it did. But, but I, I had this moment uh, where I was on the track team for our school, on the junior high track team. And they asked me to run the 800 relay with a bunch of eighth graders. I was in sixth grade, and I was still about, you know, that tall and really short legs. And, and I didn't know what an 800 relay was. So I said, sure, I'll do that. And so I get up to the line, and, and the gun goes off. And I'm with these tall, back then, you know, eighth graders were like as tall as trees. I'm with these huge eighth graders, and I just start running as fast as I can, trying to keep up with them. And around the first straightaway, I did pretty well. And then we hit the turn, and I was already starting to lose gas on the first turn. And if you don't know it, 800 is two laps. And around the first turn, I'm already losing gas, and there's quite a gap between us. I make it around that turn, and I come to the the last turn, and I look, and the other guys had already lapped me. Or were beginning to lie me. And all I could see, all I could see was them. I was on the far side of the field. And and in my heart and mind, I'm just going, this is bad. I'm running with all my might. And I haven't made one lap. And I'm out of gas. I'm tired. And and my team's going to hate me because what I'm running is terrible. We're going to be in dead last. And it may take a long while for us to finish. So I I concocted a plan as I was looking at the crowd on the far side cheering and the guys coming, and I just, I couldn't help just picture my own defeat because I couldn't keep up with the eighth graders. So this is what I did, and I'm quite embarrassed about this. I I took a fall (laughs) on purpose. (laughs) On the far side of the field, I flung myself (laughs) to the ground and tried to 
eat it as hard as I could <laughs> to get some scrapes and bruises. And so I limped in on a perfectly good leg. And the guys thought, you know, they obviously weren't paying attention to the race the way I had. They, they're like, we're, because I came in first, they, I hadn't got lapped yet. And they're like, oh, were you, are you done? I'm like, no, I, I rolled my ankle. <laughs> and I remember laying in the middle of the field with an ice bag on a perfectly good ankle. <laughs> And, and like 15 minutes later, going and jumping the high jump, you know? <laughs> and then I'm just reminded of this passage. Let us run the race marked out for you. Isn't it true that we so want to run other people's races and we compare where we're at with other people and we're looking at where they're at and we see that we're falling behind or can't keep up and... And so we just want to give up. And he says, no, that's not your race. You're called to run your race. Run the race marked out for you. And and then I love how you do it because he says, with perseverance, endurance, it's going to be hard. There's times when you want to give up, give in, and get out. And he says, with perseverance. But how do you do it with perseverance? And he says, let us fix Fixed, set, locked in. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. This, this complete, 100% focus. And we get so focused on everything else and the distractions around us and the people and and that's true. I, I just we know it that life is waiting for us and our focus is just going to shift and what started out as good intentions in this moment will just die on the altar of busyness. And he says, Fix your eyes on Jesus. It's just that simple. It's just fix. Set your focus, your heart, your attention daily. You just say, you know what? This, 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 this is my focus today. I'm going to run the race today, God. You marked out for me, not anyone else's. And I'm going to keep my eyes focused on you. And I'm going to run to you, not to anyone else. I'm going to run to you, not after anyone else. I'm going to run to you, not after anything else and then I love how he closes it I just love it because he says run your race fix your eyes and then there's going to be there's times when it's going to be hard it just is there's times when we live in a broken world and it's hurtful and it's painful and we don't understand why everything happens. And then he says, consider. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men. Would you you just consider Jesus for a moment? 
in the race you're running, in the life you're living? Would you just simply for a second take a moment and consider Jesus? Consider him. Jesus. Who was beat by his own creation. Who was God of all gods. And he humbled himself, taking on flesh for you and I. Who allowed the very people he created and loved, the very people he weeped over, he allowed them to put nails in his hand and a thorn of crowns on his head. Consider him. That's what, what's the invitation when you get tired and when you hit the moments when you feel like giving up and when you're ready to throw into town? It says, consider him. Consider Jesus so that you don't grow weary and give up. Consider Jesus. We have um, the joy and the privilege tonight of doing this, of considering Jesus together. And what we will physically do is um, just an expression. It's, uh, it's something that's familiar for many of us. Many of us have taken communion hundreds of times in our lives. For some of us, tonight might be the first time. And for some of us, we may abstain and say, tonight is not the night. But communion, and the idea of communion is a familiar one. And just, I was thinking as Ryan was talking, and the power and the weight behind what it is that communion reminds us of ought never be so familiar. Because familiarity often breeds comfort. We are familiar with our rooms, and we're comfortable there. We're familiar with uh, the rhythms and the tempos and the schedules of our weeks, and we're comfortable there. We're familiar with our friends, and so we find comfort there. We are familiar with our families and our loved ones, and so we find comfort there. And while familiarity that breeds comfort is a part, a small part of the love relationship we share with God, there is also something weighty about what communion reminds us of. And it reminds us that what communion symbolizes is so deeply unfamiliar. And it is so incredibly foreign. And it is unfamiliar and foreign because as sinners on God's earth who deserved punishment and death, we have been spared. And not only have we been spared we have been rescued. We have been swept up in the waves of God's grace and mercy. That those of us 
who, who know Jesus as Lord and Savior, we have been swept up into a kingdom life that feels so right and so familiar, and yet it is not what we have earned or deserved. Jesus says this in Matthew 26. He takes bread as he eats with his disciples, and he tells them, take and eat. This is my body. And then he takes a cup of wine and he offers it to his disciples and he says, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Ryan and I and a couple of us were talking earlier this afternoon and we were reminded of this truth. There is something interesting about communion. We do not put on an article of clothing in remembrance of Jesus. We do not mark our bodies with something that we could wipe away. We don't wear something. We don't mark ourselves. What we do to remember the sacrifice of Jesus is we eat and we drink. We eat and we drink. It is the most internal reality. And it is a reality of such deep permanence. You take bread and you take wine and you, you eat and drink. It is in you and a part of you and it brings nourishment, energy, and life to your bones. It is food that gives us life, not just this life, but life eternal. And yet we simply get up and walk over, rip off a piece of bread, dip it in the cup, put it in our mouth, say the quick prayer, and we sit down, and it is a moment that is here and gone. And yet, it is a moment that echoes for all of eternity. And our hope, our hope tonight as you go to these communion tables is that you would feel the weight of this permanence, the weight of God's gift of love that is symbolized by the bread and the juice. Uh, I remember when um, a number of years ago, five years ago, when I was planning on proposing to my wife, um, I actually got her engagement ring in L.A. And uh, I flew down for a day and drove around with a friend of mine um, to some different places, finally picked the ring. And it was in the beautiful little engagement ring box, right? And it feels as fuzzy as it looks on television. I'm like, this is his. I have one of these now. It's amazing. And there's more money than, I mean, it's not lavish or extravagant, but for me, it was more money than I'd spent on anything that small ever in my life. <laughs> And I had it in my pocket, and I remember checking in at uh, John Wayne Airport, and because um, I didn't have any check-in bags, I just had a backpack, and I had this thing in my pocket, and I'm like so frantic, right? Because I'm thinking, is this thing gonna go off on the 
little, you know, so like, what do I do? Like, are they going to stop me as it runs through the little x-ray machine? Because I didn't want anybody in that airport to know that I had this. And, you know, I'm like making stuff up in my head, right? Like the airport, the TSA people are going to be like, is that an engagement ring in there? Like over the loudspeaker or something. You know, I'm so nervous. And they didn't. They just let me go and it was fine. And I remember I had, I pulled it out of my backpack and I put it in my pocket. And the entire time while I'm waiting for my flight, and as I'm walking onto the flight, and as I'm sitting on my flight, and as we're landing, and as I'm waiting out on the curb to get picked up by a friend, the entire time my hand didn't leave the box. I mean, I'm clutching it. I mean, I was afraid that I was going to crush the fuzzy little box, right? And all I would have left is like this broken box, like, yeah, here. I mean, I'm just clutching it with everything I've got. And it was like that until two weeks later, I finally proposed. I mean, I'm just like, what do I do with this thing? I slept with it, you know? I mean, it's just, I couldn't sleep. I'm like, <laughs> wide awake. Is It's just a ring. It's just a ring. I mean, if we lost it, we'd be upset and it'd be a big deal, but at the end of the day, it's just a ring. And what we do tonight, what we remember tonight, the practice, the celebration of communion is a, is a reminder of something so exponentially greater than even an engagement ring. It is the reminder of grace that took on flesh and blood and bones to change everything for us. I love how Bonhoeffer puts it. He, he says this, costly grace is the gospel which must be sought again and again, the gift which must be asked for, the door at which we must knock. Such grace is costly because it calls us to follow, and it is grace because it calls us to follow Jesus. It is costly because it costs us our lives, and it is grace because it gives us the only true life. It is costly because it condemns sin and grace because it justifies the sinner. Above all, it is costly because it cost God the life of his son. And what has cost God so much cannot be made cheap for us. Above all, it is grace and it is costly because God did not reckon his son too dear, too costly a price to pay for us. But he delivered him up. Costly grace is the incarnation of God, Jesus, with us in flesh and blood. This is what we remember when we rip off the bread and dip it in the cup. That action, that act that is so familiar is the reminder and the remembrance of that which we actually never knew, never had to know the punishment that was due us that turned into peace because the son paid the price. Our hope, our prayer for you, for us, all of us tonight, is that as we practice, celebrate, remember, commemorate, participate in communion, that you would feel 
the weight of this reality. The weight of this reality. That's what we would like you to do as we consider Jesus together. And in that, I would invite you to, as the, the guys can come on up, I'd invite you to take the moment as the, as the passage, uh, Hebrews 12 says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And take this moment to really allow the weight of what happened on the cross to penetrate your soul and where you go, God, I want to run the race marked out for me. And part of what that means is there's some things in my life that are tangling and tripping me up and you know what they are and you would say, God, I'm ready to deal with that. I've been ignoring that for a long time and there's some sin. There's some sin where you just need to confess before God, and maybe you need to confess to someone else. And where you say, God, I'm, I'm yours. Amen. Because here's, here's the weight of communion. It, it, it literally means communion with God. Union. And in that uniting, you are being called and beckoned and invited into And I would say, as followers of Christ, it is demanded of to live out the mission of God. See, communion and the weight of that moment is he died that we might live. And in that moment that we might live, we say we are going to give our lives so that others might live as well. And so you take that bread and you take that juice and you say it. It is an invitation into the grand story of God. It is an invitation into a moment of living a life that invites you on the greatest adventure of what life truly is. And it's dangerous. It's the mission of God. As Tim said, being salt, light. Let me pray for us and we'll just take this time together. God, we we remember you. We confess that so often in life we run past you or we just simply check in with you. And yet in this moment we We long to consider you, to fix our eyes on you, to allow our hearts be penetrated by the amazing, incredible truth that five-year-olds sing, that Jesus loves me, this I know. So as we take this moment, this sacred moment, to partake with you, all we can say is thank you. Thank you for Jesus.